Hi, and welcome to the first episode of She Says. My name is Zola, and I've started this podcast with the intention of creating a platform for women to come on and share their stories, their experiences, from their successes to their failures, from their heartaches to their love stories. The word she says is actually really interesting, I think, because it sounds like she says, which is very fitting for this podcast as it's all about conversations with females, but it's also derives from the word success whilst putting a female pronoun in front of it, which makes she says. This is my first episode and I'm so grateful I was able to interview the incredible Guelphie Motopali who at 13 years old was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she talks about not only ovarian cancer and her experience of being diagnosed with it but also the importance of having conversations about our vaginas in order to erase the stigma and shame. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in please tune into the first episode and if you have any feedback or if you have anyone you'd like me to interview, please follow and message me on she says underscore podcast on Instagram. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy. So, Gothami, do you mind just introducing yourself and where you are in life at the moment? Hey, everyone, I'm Gothami, and I'm 23, and I currently am living in Australia in a tiny little town in New South Wales. So I'm working as an occupational therapist here and just chugging along through the pandemic. How's the pandemic been for you? Um, well, being in a small country town, you don't actually get to see too much of the effects of it. So I'm very lucky. Um, but just except for the fact that I can't come home right now. But yeah, it's been pretty good. So Gwelthami, you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 13 years old. Yep, I sure was, which is what I'm here to talk about today. What was your life like before you were diagnosed? So before I was diagnosed, I had just finished my second year of intermediate and I was pretty much your average teenage girl. I loved hanging out with my friends, going to the mall and yeah, just pretty much pretty much a normal girl. Mm-hmm. And so what were your thoughts when you were diagnosed? Well, when I was diagnosed, all I had known about cancer is pretty much my sister's keeper. So. I guess I didn't have a lot of information about what to expect or what was going to happen. And for the most part, it was just a very overwhelming time. So take us back to that moment. So what were the symptoms, first of all, that you recognised? So before I was diagnosed, I had a lot of fatigue. So I just felt tired all the time. I didn't get my period yet, which I thought was normal because I was just getting to that puberty age. Um, I also had quite a swollen abdomen towards the end of being diagnosed. So I lost a lot of weight everywhere else on my body, except for my abdomen. And I also had to go to the toilet a lot, but I was also very constipated. So all the sort of symptoms that I experienced leading up to it, most of which I put down to just normal sort of things because I didn't experience any pain or anything severely out of the normal. And pretty much to when I was diagnosed, those are the things I experienced. So were you the only one who was starting to realise something was wrong or was there other people around you who also recognised these symptoms? Well, my mum was the one that was really concerned about my abdomen being swollen. She had no idea about the other symptoms. And to be fair, at that time, I didn't really think about those symptoms as being anything serious either. So it was my mum who really noticed that my abdomen was getting swollen And yes, that something was really wrong. 
And did you or your mother at that point have any knowledge of gynecological cancers? Not at all, because we have no known history in our family about that. So we definitely, I, I can surely say that none of us thought that it was going to be cancer. And so when you turned up at the GP's office, what was the GP's first reaction? Did they instantly think it was a gynecological cancer or were they thinking it was something else? Well, my GP was really great and she instantly kind of knew that something was wrong just because my abdomen was so swollen at this point in just an abnormal kind of way. Um, so at the time she just sort of said, you, we need to send you to the emergency department right now and I think something's wrong. And obviously me, me and my mum were very shocked because my mum thought something was wrong but not that serious. And so she tried. my GP tried to reassure us by just saying it could be something very benign, like it doesn't have to be something serious and we just need to get more tests done. So I'm not sure if that's what she thought at the time, but she definitely knew something serious. Can you take me back to the time when you were 13 years old in the car rushing to the hospital? What was going through your head at that point? Were you thinking that it could be nothing? Yeah, I had no idea that something was wrong. So actually from the GP, we went home to pack an overnight bag. And I was with my mum and my dad and none of us said anything in the car. We just did not to say. And we got home and it was just quiet and I can just remember my brother was there and he was just saying, what's wrong? And none of us could say anything. And I don't know, just like think about that moment and of how to, like none of us could articulate what was happening at the time. So we sort of just packed a bag and went to the ED and didn't really say anything. And so when you were first diagnosed, did you understand the implications that were about to happen to you? Or were you, you know, because you weren't necessarily educated on any gynecological cancer and its impacts, were you a bit in the dark about this? I was definitely in the dark about it because I remember that moment that the doctor said you have this form of ovarian cancer and it has a super long name and I just felt really overwhelmed and I guess I couldn't even imagine how different my life could be and how it was going to affect me. And so at what point did you find out you were going to have to go through chemotherapy? So what actually happened was following the GP, we went to the ED and at the emergency department, I had a CT scan and that's when they found the cyst on my right ovary. And so because it was such of such large size, they had to remove it the next day. So I was taken to surgery, had that surgery. And so they removed that cyst and my right ovary. And following that, I was just in recovery for about three weeks. And that was when they were sending a biopsy of the cyst to find out what it was. And at that time, I had no idea. All I knew is they had to remove a cyst from my ovary and I had to have the surgery. And so on the final day that I was going to be discharged from the hospital, that's when they kind of sat me down in a room and that was when my doctor told me what they had found and what was going to be happening for the next few months. So they found that the cyst was cancerous and that I had stage 3B ovarian cancer. And yeah, that's pretty much what she told me. And so what did that mean for you and for the next year or following years? Um, I guess... It, I knew that the next six months of my life were going to be having chemo and I just thought at six months I can get through it, just have to get through each one and pretty much just cross it off. So I don't really think too far ahead of that. I just thought of those six months and getting getting through that really. So you're just looking at the light of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I just thought have to get through it. I can do six months of 
Wow, because I think back to when I was a 13-year-old and that was probably the most self-conscious period of my life and I had no idea who I was. I was also just trying to fit into these norms. So what was it like for a 13-year-old going through chemotherapy and having to lose all your hair? I have to say that was one of the worst things that could happen and I remember when they told me, I thought back to my sister's keeper and I thought, I'm going to lose my hair and... I remember just, I cried so much about losing my hair, much more than I cried about potentially dying. And I think that just shows how much of a 13-year-old you are at that point. And um, it's still one of the worst things ever. I remember losing my hair and the day that I lost my hair, we had some visitors over and I just went to the bathroom and I wanted my hair to look normal because it started falling out in the part. And so I was just in the bathroom just for hours and obviously left. But And I was just crying because I wanted to be normal and just be a normal kid. Um, And I had dreams about my hair growing back. And I don't know, it was a very difficult thing to go through, one of the hardest things to go through. Mm. And so what did that do to your self-confidence and your body image? I think I was very self-conscious during that time, especially because I also had this really long scar in the center of my stomach and I was bold at the time. And I can just... I just definitely felt very ugly and just really struggled during that first year to find confidence and to feel beautiful. Definitely. I can't imagine what that was like for you. And so having gone through that experience of feeling so self-conscious and having lost your hair, as well as having a scar um, in your stomach, how has that affected your idea of self-worth, body image and body positivity today? I think it's definitely one of those things I've had to learn to love and there's still days that I look at my body and I'm just not happy with it but it's definitely something I try to view more as it's just a part of me and it just as cheesy as it sounds it's kind of the sign that I survived and I made it through cancer and I would never be ashamed of hiding it and you know and I'm happy and open to talk about it and I think it also changed my idea of what beauty is meant to be and that beauty is not this one thing that we see a lot in the media but it's whatever you want it to be and just being confident in yourself exactly and loving this body that's gotten you through a really rigorous cancer and chemotherapy and is still healthy yeah definitely you know I think about you know, all the things that our body has done for me and I think how can I still hate it when it helps me wake up every morning and get through the day and just do everything that I want to do mm-hmm. And so how is um, going through chemotherapy and having to receive treatment for your cancer, how has that affected the way that you um, live every day today? Is there any uh, like health specifications that you have to go through? or No, I was really lucky that I have no long-term effects from my cancer, so I can pretty much live a normal life. Um, I, had de- I definitely am a lot more healthy healthy than I was then and I am conscious about that just because you know like we talked about just before that bodies do so much for us and we have to be kind to them give them the things that they need to function the best so I think it's just taking care of my body in the best way that I can um going yeah that's awesome and so having gone through this life-changing event how did that change the way that you not only saw your body but also your life I think it definitely changed my perspective in terms of being more grateful and is again as cheesy as that sounds I think I definitely don't take life for granted as much and I always remind myself that I'm lucky just to even be here 
and that I need to not only use my story to make a positive change in the world, but just being grateful for the little things, especially in a year like this when everything can feel terrible and it feels like there's nothing to be grateful for, you know, even just living is such a blessing and it's something that I don't want to ever stop being grateful for. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Who were the people who you leaned on the most going through this stage of your life? I think, I don't know, I think cancer was a very isolating experience and I don't think I leaned on people enough because I definitely had everyone around me supporting me, all my friends and family, and I know they were there if I needed anything and, you know, not to discount their support, but you almost want to be strong and be okay for everyone and not have people worry about you. And I don't know, I think anytime you go through something hard, it's easy to do that. It's easy just to feel like you have to be okay. Were you scared of being a burden to everyone? Yeah, definitely. And I knew how worried my parents were already. And I didn't want to add to that by, you know, being upset all the time or acting like things weren't going to be okay, because I can't imagine what it must have been like for them to go through it as well. Wow. And so... Having got, just going back to it, having gone through that experience, how has that shaped the way you're an occupational therapist now? Has that led you into that area of life? Yeah, I can, I've always wanted to work in healthcare, but I think going through the healthcare experience makes me realize how much all of my health professionals went out of their way for me to help me and just to show kindness and be there for me. And it's such a privilege to be a part of someone's life during a point where they're so vulnerable and just to support them and help them get through it. So definitely I think being a health professional is such a privilege and I'm really, really grateful. So do you see it more as almost providing the support and understanding that you in a sense wanted but also learnt that you needed whilst you were going through this? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just about being there for people. And like I said, it's such a privilege to be able to help someone through a time like that. Mm -hmm. And so you're an advocate for the Gynecological Cancer Foundation. Tell me why you wanted to become an advocate. I think the thing that made me want to be an advocate the most is that ovarian cancer is such an underdiagnosed cancer, but it is relatively common, just like the gynae cancer, that three women are diagnosed with a gynae cancer every day. And one woman dies from ovarian cancer every 48 hours. So it's ovarian cancer is a very deadly killer, but there's just not enough um, awareness about it. And I knew that needed to change. And a lot of the a lot of the work that I do is around the fact that gynae cancers are so underfunded, and that if we have there's so much there's a huge lack of funding and lack of research into the area, and that just means one huge thing: it means that we're dying. And ovarian cancer is just killing people. And we don't live long enough to advocate for better because my story is rare and it just shouldn't be the exception. Mm -hmm. And so why do you think that there's a lack of education around it? Because personally for me, I knew more about prostate cancer and breast cancer as opposed to gynecological cancer. I think there's just a lot of stigma and shame surrounding the issue, which I think breast cancer advocates have done such a great job to break. But obviously talking about vaginas and ovaries and that is still a majorly taboo subject. And 
that's a lot of what I advocate for as well, just talking about our bodies openly and just instead of it being this shameful thing because shame means that there's fear and fear means that we don't talk about it, which is one of the biggest reasons that I didn't get diagnosed earlier is because I just didn't talk about the symptoms I was experiencing. This is clearly the case of so many women because as I was reading the other day, gynecological cancers are often given the term of the silent killer, meaning that we don't talk about what's happening with our vaginas. We don't talk about, you know, something might be going wrong and we don't have those conversations. So what do you think is the reason why we as women aren't necessarily as open about talking about our vaginas? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I think, yeah, the stigma and shame is one of the biggest reasons that people don't talk about it. But also it is massively, it is a woman's issue or when I say woman, also just anyone with female reproductive organs. And I think part of that is a lot of the issues being rooted in the patriarchy, not to be that person, but it's definitely true. Like when I did research across Australia, New Zealand, UK and America, less than 2% of health funding is allocated towards gynecological cancers. So what do you believe to be uh, the obstacles surrounding the conversation around these types of cancers? I think one of the biggest obstacles is just the stigma and shame around women's bodies. So being able to talk about vaginas and ovaries and pretty much them in, norm, in general, but also when things go wrong. It, the stigma just starts from a really young age when we start using euphemisms for the word vagina. It instantly creates the sort of secrecy and shame around it. And I think shame is one of the biggest barriers to talking about symptoms that you experience and being diagnosed. Did you experience any shame when you got diagnosed with ovarian cancer? I think a lot of the shame was leading up to it, that I did experience the symptoms and looking back, I'm able to identify them so clearly. But at the time, I felt so uncomfortable even talking about it to my mum or even saying that I had those things out loud. So why do you think it's so important that people identify you as a spokesperson for this cancer? I think it's important because... A lot of the time we can think, first of all, that cancers like this won't happen to us, but also that it might be um, an older woman issue, when reality is it can happen to anyone, just like my story that I was 13, and that it is important to be aware at any point in your life about things that aren't, when you're experiencing things that aren't normal for you or your body. And I read in um, the Stuff article that you said that it was really important that you represented Asian and Indian women. Yeah, definitely. So I think a lot of the stigma that that exists in Western culture is almost amplified in Asian or Indian culture. The stigma and shame around women's bodies and ovarian cancer and fertility can just sort of be um, magnified and make it even harder to talk about. So I think that cultural aspect does add another layer to it. And I think in my culture, I found it really hard to even share my story or talk about it because there was this sense of um, shame and secrecy and even just a sense of why focus on something that's bad? But I think it's important to because it's so underdiagnosed and so not spoken about. So with the culture, you just felt like you couldn't talk about it because it wasn't something that you ever talked about. You didn't necessarily talk about vaginas, breasts or anything, period. Yeah, and I think obviously like I think it's just a cultural difference that in the culture is just not something that's spoken about. And Although, you know, no discredit to my mum who tried to do her best to teach me about being a healthy um, person. I think it's just something that she was never spoken to about either. And I think a lot of my friends had said the same thing about that it just being this topic that would never come up. And, you know, that it's just sort of, 
ignored or brushed under the rug or expected that you'll learn about it somewhere else. So moving forward in terms of the education surrounding gynecological cancer, what do you see as being the next steps? I think it can start from sort of that grassroots level of just opening up those conversations and even just having those with your friends and um, with your family as well, just making it an open topic, but also just being aware of the symptoms that do exist. And I think the New Zealand Gynecological Cancer Foundation, but also Talk Peach are two amazing charities that do a lot of work around this. So if you do want to find out more information, they're just a great resource to learn more about the symptoms and what you can do about them. And so I've also read that women find it really hard to identify the symptoms because they're not similar to any other cancer symptoms. Could you name a few of the symptoms that are common within this cancer? Yeah, so some of the ones I experienced were fatigue, nausea, irregular periods, constipation, frequent urination, and some of the other common ones are pain during sex, abdominal fullness, and yeah, so I think those are some of the things to watch out for. But pretty much if you ever feel off baseline or something's different about your body and you are experiencing them for several months, it is really important to get it checked out. And so once women get these symptoms checked out, what is the next process? So sort of two things with that. The only um, gynae cancer that can be diagnosed through a test is cervical cancer. So cervical smears can test for cervical cancer, but all of the other gynae cancers, you have to just be aware of the symptoms and be diagnosed through those. And because ovarian cancer is so underdiagnosed, I know a lot of other people who weren't diagnosed by their GPs because there is this lack of awareness. So I think it's about if you do feel like something's wrong to get that second opinion or to push and be your own advocate because as we've seen, 80% of people who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer will die from it. So it is important to be the advocate for yourself. And if you feel like something's wrong, then you know your body better than anyone else. Would you say that there's not only a lack of education in society, but also potentially a lack of education in the medical industry? Yeah, definitely. I think it's that societal issue of not only the patriarchy, but the stigma and shame around women's bodies, which stems from the patriarchy. But it's all of those things that affect not only us on an individual level, but on a societal level and the medical pe- medical professionals. Do you, in a sense, feel a responsibility now to open up the conversation about a subject, i.e. vaginas, that your girlmates may not feel necessarily comfortable with? Do you feel like you have to kind of bring that forward and to normalise it, in a sense? Yeah, definitely. I think just having open conversations and being that person that my friends can come to and talk about things and know that they can comfortably talk talk about whatever they need to. And, um, yeah, just having those open conversations. That's awesome. So you haven't had any other cancer scares? No, I haven't. I've been really lucky. So since I had six months of chemo and then at the end of the year, I they said that the cancer was gone. And after five years, that's when you pretty much have around 80% chance of not getting it again. And for I think now it's been nine years. So yeah, I'm really lucky and I've, I've been healthy and yeah, not been affected in any way by it. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> And so after having gone through that, I know that you said that you became really grateful. Do you now just seize every day as if it was your last and really go for those opportunities that you may never get again? Yeah, definitely. Like, I think I make a lot more time for the things I find important. And I just love going on hikes and being in nature. And I try to do that as much as I can, but also just in little ways in the times that I just feel like I've had a bad day, just reminding myself 
just to just be grateful. That's awesome. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been so inspiring hearing your story. Thank you for having me. I'm really, I feel lucky to be your first interview for this. That was the incredible Gwalthmi Motapali. I am so grateful to have been able to have a conversation with her about her journey as well as learn about the lack of education and the lack of funding for this really deadly cancer that's killing one woman every 48 hours. If you'd like to learn more about gynecological cancers, head over to the Gynecological Cancer Foundation.